and welcome aboard the battleship. Oh, come on. (laughs) All right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Hello and welcome aboard (laughs) the battleship pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. (laughs) Yeah. How you doing? I'm elated. I don't know if I want to do that. I may have blown out the speakers. (laughs) That's fine. Okay. That was was an inside joke. Okay. Of Uh, sorts. Should I stop it? No. All right. Okay. Um, All right. <laughs> anyway, I'm elated. I- elated? Why are you elated? Because our, our, our list is in, yeah. our reader-generated list, and it's yeah. fantastic. I'm very happy with it. Yes. However, here's the thing. Uh, we said that we would be announcing... Well, let's say first what the list is. For, yes, for, right, right. Uh, um, here's, here's what happened. Uh, a few weeks ago, maybe like last month, yeah. um, Empire Magazine did a reader-generated list you know, based on votes of the 100 greatest characters in the history of film. Yeah. And uh, with all respect to Empire, it, it was shit. Yes. Uh, uh, there, were, there were a few, you know, there are a few characters. It's like, yeah, those are pretty good. But then there's some where it's just like, you know, I mean, and yes, when, when describing it, I was probably kind of too much of a jerk to Empire uh, itself. Yeah, it's not their fault. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a ridiculous list. Go and give it, you know, give it a look. You'll see what we're talking about. So what we decided to do was, uh, have our own listener generated, uh, list. Right. You all voted and, uh, the results are in. Yep. Um, so that's what's happened. What were you going to say then? Well, uh, we did say that we were going to announce the entire list, uh, on the 22nd of December. Um, but we are not going to do that. Uh, we're going to, uh, you know, as far as the episode goes, we'll tell you more about that in a few minutes. But uh, as far as the website, um, those, the full list will be up uh, probably Christmas Day. Okay. So um, on Christmas, is a little gift to yourself. Just yeah. go and check out the list, see who made the cut, and, uh, you know, and then... If, if you have any problems with it, uh, you can email us or you can discuss it uh, uh, on the forum. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's uh, that's the deal with, with the list. So it, the, the full list will be available uh, on the 25th, Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, speaking of what we're going to do today, we're not going to obviously go through all 100 of them right. on the podcast today or else – this podcast would be nine to nine hundred hours long. It'd be very long, yes. <laughs> um, so we're just gonna we're, we're just gonna do the top ten, and then maybe mention some other ones that were happier on the list. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, and the thing is, like, some people might be like, might say, "Oh, the top ten. Well, like, why are you mentioning the top ten? That ruins the suspense." But quite frankly, there's there's there no there's no big surprises on the top ten. I would say, David, do you think so? Yeah, but it's still it's still a good top ten. It's a great top ten. Yeah, um, and it's the top ten that should be there. You know, I'd yeah. say. But uh, but of the top hundred, it's probably the le- they're all probably the least surprising. You know, so so we're going with that, and uh, you know, so we'll we'll give you the top ten now. We'll give you a little teaser, and then uh, to see the rest of the list, you go on. You, you'll go online. Well, before so. we get into it, speaking of top tens, yeah, uh, <laughs> I have. Um, on this podcast, I have given Stephen King a hard time yeah. ab- about his column in, in Entertainment Weekly, and I uh, he just keeps giving me more fuel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like his novels, yeah. most of them. I don't understand why he keeps uh, diluting his reputation yeah. by writing these just corny, pedantic... Yeah. Is that the word I'm looking for? Uh, I think perhaps, it fits. Yeah. I don't know if it was what I was looking for, but it works anyway. Yeah. Uh, these these columns, and he has uh, revealed his his best films of two thousand eight. Yeah, and it's the, David. Let me ask you this: What is more frustrating, the top hundred characters list from Empire or this top ten? Well, I would say I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm Don't sorry. yawn into the mic, David. I've been uh, yeah, I've been told. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> at a late night. Uh, what's more, oh, the Empire list is worse, okay. I would say, because it's, it's spanning, it's, it's, it's shiving all of film history as right, opposed yes, to just this, this year. Just this year, yes. And uh, you know what, a lot of these on his list, I didn't even see. Okay. And there's good reason. Yeah. You know, I didn't, let's start at number 10. I didn't want to see Death Race. Yeah, neither did I. And it got, I, I don't recall if it was screened for critics. I think it was. And uh, everybody said that it's like, you know, it's like the original, but more death, less social satire, and uh, just all around worse. 
<laughs> um, I, I've heard it was terrible. And uh, does he, what justification does he give for liking it? No, I don't remember. Hold on. Um, violence, muscle cars, and uh, biting satire. Hmm. Okay. He may be thinking about the original. <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's... Uh, well, I don't want to spend yeah. all day on this, but I, I do want to mention uh, number nine on his list is like at the towards the bottom of my movies this yes. year. I hated Red Belt. Yeah. Hated um, it. Yeah, I uh, I myself was... You and I saw it together, and I remember, like, for the first... Probably the first half of it, I'm like, okay, where is this going? I'm kind of interested to see. And then you see where it goes, and you're like, this is awful. This yeah. is... You know, it, and it's a shame because there's a lot of good acting going on during that. That's true. Uh, the, the lead actor, whose name I can never remember how to pronounce... Chibotel Ejiofor? Yeah. He's doing good work. Tim Allen's doing good work, you know? Indeed. But, you know, it's just... It's just crap. I mean, I, I would, I think I would venture to say that it's David uh, Mamet's worst film. What would you, what would you say? Yeah, it's the worst one that I've seen. Uh, yeah, let's see. I think I've seen all of them. Yeah, and it's just, and I can't. I mean, I can't put my finger on why, except that it's just like he really thought that this story like was okay. Like a guy who revolutionized modern theater uh-huh. by kind of bucking conventions and just having. You know, characters just talk and kind of has something of a, you know, they kind of have a cynical ending and that kind of thing. And then Red Belt comes along and it has the most Hollywood of endings. I mean, it's <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, and of course, Stephen King just ate that up. <clears throat> but uh, yeah. And it's I, not your father's karate kid. That's what he says. Uh, okay. Number eight, The Ruins. I didn't see you saw, I it. saw it. Yeah. Uh, that should not be on any. But I only saw. I think I've only seen 16 movies this year. Didn't make it into my top 10. <laughs> all right. Um, number seven, Lakeview Terrace. You know what? Lakeview Terrace wasn't terrible. You liked it. Yeah, yeah, I thought uh, you said It's you not in my top 10, and right. I haven't seen a whole lot of movies this year. I mean, even in a year as as uh, dry as 2008 has been, yeah. Lakeview Terrace doesn't quite make the top 10. But again, I could see someone. So anyway, I'll, yeah. uh, the bank job, didn't see it. I didn't see it. Uh, you know, we had Mike Schmidt on the show yeah, he and he liked it a, a great deal uh funny games remake didn't see it i didn't see it i didn't hear, it, I hear it's like the original yeah so. uh tropic thunder didn't see it i i did see it and it's it's very good uh robert Downey jr is awesome not sure if it should be in anybody's top 10 okay but then we've got wally some like millionaire and dark knight right that's, that's that's fine that's fine so i just wanted to uh t- take a second to kick and stephen king in the kidney it's very weird because a guy who, and as a writer, he has a very clear voice. He never seems like, I mean, he, you know, he'll take like kind of the third, the third person omniscient narrator, but the narrator still seems kind of like this folksy type guy. Um, yeah. Which is, I'm kind of, I'm all right with that because he manages to make it work in his novels. But like that kind of thing, when you're writing a column, it just makes it just makes him sound like an idiot. Yeah. Where it's just like, it's like this isn't your father's Karate Kid, and it's like. Who are you talking to? <laughs> like, anybody who saw The Karate Kid and now has a child is not old enough to see Red Belt, so I don't know what you're talking about. And just, you know, it's just a little phrase that you're using. And that works when you've got Jack Torrance, who's drunk and killing people, but when it's just you just saying it, <laughs> and what's worse, writing it? Uh, no, thank you. But that's that's neither here nor there, David. We've got to get to it. Yeah, let's get into it. This All right. We're, we're we should say we're we're in a bit of a rush here. You're you're up against the hard break. That's right. That's right. The, the holidays. <laughs> You've got a hard out up. time. Yeah, the holidays are coming up, and I need to prepare, David. Okay, so uh, here's here's your list, everybody. Uh, the top ten. The top ten. Yeah. Or is there anyone else like uh, that on the list that we want to mention that we're like um, glad? There's well, I mean, I I don't want to give too much away, but there are a few uh, people that were included, uh, a few characters that were included that really. That really warmed my heart. For me, I would say uh, one of the big ones was was uh, General Buck Turgidson from Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, and what number did he come in at? He came in at number twenty-two. Yeah, that's pretty good. And uh, and I will say, uh, listeners, hats off to you for the whole list in general. We had a lot of really great submissions, uh, but. You know, when people think of Dr. Strangelove, they might feel inclined to think of Strangelove himself uh-huh. or just Peter Sellers in general. Uh, and he does fine, but Buck Turgeson, uh, or uh, I like General Ripper too, but Buck Turgeson, he is like, 
the, the tone of that character is the tone of the film. Yeah. Just very like very serious, very stern at times, but also just so so goofy and ridiculous. And a great performance by uh, George C. Scott, and uh, and it placed number twenty two for you guys. Good job. Well, I like that because um, one of our problems with the Empire List was it sort of the, how how recent it was skewing. Yes, you know, and we had uh, I like that we have <laughs> listeners who are smart enough to 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 see recent films and know. Which characters will be memorable and important right. in a, a long time from now? Right. Thing, number, I, I was I was pleas- pleasantly surprised at the high turnout for number twenty five, Dan- Daniel Plainview. Yes, because uh, that, that's that's going to be a memorable character for for decades to come. Yeah, and uh, but also you know it's just a lot of our problems with the Empire list, which was very few classic characters, very few females, and virtually no foreign characters. And then yeah. literally no silent characters. Like, that's something you don't have to worry about with this list. There's, there's lots of female characters. Um, and there's a, lot yeah. of, there's a lot of foreign characters, plenty of classics. Uh, and it's just, uh, yeah. It, so, yeah, I mean, I guess right now I'll, I'll just say, you know, just in general, uh, well done. You, you proved us right. There's a few characters that I, that I myself, if, you know, if you'd ask me, I would have included um, that didn't, that weren't submitted, but you know, it's not the end of the world. This is a very formidable, uh, list. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, but you know what? So yeah, we have, uh, older characters, we have foreign characters, lots of female characters, you know, what we yeah. don't have a lot of, yeah, we actually have one black character on the list. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I don't, I don't think our listeners are racist. No. Uh, cause while we were sitting around talking about it, we came up with a few that maybe could have yeah. been on there, but really it has, to, it's, it's a function of, the way that films are written, that yeah. there aren't, yeah, um, there aren't that many roles. Yeah, it is. It is kind of a shame because there, are, you know, there are actors who, I mean, there are like African American actors and actresses who, uh, you know, turn out great work, uh, but just, you know, it's just when compared to some of the other, some of these other characters, it's like, well, is it is this character as as good? I don't think so. It sounds awful to say, but you know, it's just as David said. I think. It's more a testament to yeah just the the lack of really solid African American characters. So I um, was uh, there. There are a couple off the top of my head. There were two characters that I was upset didn't make the list. Didn't that's even weird because because there's two characters I was I was upset did make the list. Well, you don't need to talk about those, right? Right. Um, because you're wrong anyway. They're fine characters. One of them is. There we go. <laughs> um, uh, what was I? What was I saying? There are a couple characters that you were uh, didn't even get a single vote. Yeah, that I'm I'm surprised at. Well, who um, who, who is it? Hold on, okay. I, I I forgot. Well, yeah, that's what made me think the talking about black characters. Alonzo from Training Day, not yeah. a single vote. No votes. Uh, I was surprised at that, uh, and I was also honestly honestly surprised. Like I really thought that Patrick Bateman from American Psycho would at least get a vote. No one yeah. submitted Patrick Bateman. Yeah, I had a few myself. Um, I was. I was really surprised that Hans Beckert from M was not submitted. Right. Um, yeah, that's, of course, Peter Laurie and a wonderful performance, wonderful character. Peter Laurie didn't make our list. He did not make the list. He, he came close Yeah, with Dr. Einstein from Arsenic and Old Lace. That's right. But uh, but no Joel Cairo, you know. No, yeah, no. Um, but, uh, and another one that bummed me out, but at the same time, I guess I shouldn't, you know, I, I shouldn't be too bummed out because it's it's a movie that even though it did win some Oscars that year, it has just kind of faded. It's not really on people's radar very much, and mm-hmm. that's the original uh, All the King's Men. I feel that Willie Stark yeah. is one of the best uh, film characters, as played wonderfully by Broderick Crawford. Um, I would have I loved to see him be submitted, but he wasn't. Uh, and, there's, and there's a couple others that I'd say, oh, man, Nobody submitted him, but it's not the end of the world. Like I said, this is a very is a very solid list, and I would stand by. I stand by ninety eight of the characters on this list. So, <laughs> and uh, when you read through it, you'll probably see. I imagine knowing what you know about David and I, you'll you'll be like, oh, this has to be the one right here, clearly, because yes. one of these things does not uh, is not like the other. So. Um, okay, so let's get into it. We, Absolutely, we're, top ten. We, yeah, we're in, we're in a rush here. All okay. right, number number ten. Very happy to see Atticus Finch Atticus at number Finch. ten. Yes, um, and uh, I believe that that's the only uh, Gregory Peck character on the list here. And um, 
Yeah, Atticus Finch is a really he's a fascinating character because something that I've that I have always said is that okay, years ago, uh a friend of mine directed a a passion play uh-huh. right at his church and I acted in it. I played Judas. It's the character I wanted. Theori- now theoretically somebody say would say like wouldn't you want to play Jesus? And the answer is not really, because like there are certain characters that are just so inherently good that it's like, yeah, it's kind of boring, you know, uh-huh. just there. It's hard to explain, but like it's like, yeah, OK, that's there's really only one note to play. Atticus Finch could have been like that, could have seemed like that. because yeah. He is a character who is very noble, a man of definite integrity, um, but he's not. He seems like a real guy and he seems kind he seems kind of sad. Yeah. You know, the way Gregory Peck uh, plays him, you know, just a guy who, you know, he wants to do what's right. He, and, and he does most, you know, the vast majority of the time. But he also knows what the world is. And he knows that as as much good as he will ever do, it's never going to be enough. Like even not even just in the world, just in his town. He does what he can. But he knows that he's just, you know, he's fighting windmills. It's uh, and it's a wonderful performance. What do you have to say about uh, Atticus Finch? Um, well, again, what I have to say about it is going to be about Gregory Peck because I mean, so much of Atticus Finch is already in the book. Yeah, you know, um, but he he manages to be to be true to it and and then in a way make it more real. I mean, yeah. we tend to obviously with a movie you see the person, it, right? It, so he 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 sort of supplemented what was already a great book by yeah. making Atticus Finch a real a real person, someone. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, like, I mean, Atticus, like somebody's father. I had a late night last night. Yeah, Atticus, <laughs> he, he's somebody that, Atticus is somebody who could have been played as basically a collection of ideas, but he's not. He, uh, Gregory Peck turns him, takes all these different elements of him, and really creates a character. I mean, when you think of To Kill a Mockingbird, you think of him. When you think of Atticus Finch, you think of him. You know, you don't think of the character from the book. You think of Gregory Peck. And I, I'm not a big fan of the movie. Not a huge fan of the book, but I love his performance, and he does wonders with that character. So, and he really brings, and there's there's a lot of good, as you say, there's a lot of goodness in the character, and he really brings it out in the best possible way. I can't imagine anybody else playing that character, not even Jimmy Stewart, who oozes goodness. Like, yeah, <laughs> like it has to be. Uh, there has to be a kind of sad stoicism to it that Gregory Peck brings to it. So, so Atticus Finch, number ten. All right, number nine, Norman Bates. Norman Bates. No surprises there, uh, right? Yeah, uh, I, but uh, again, you lead the discussion. Okay, I, I'll get into the group eventually here. Okay, all right now. Um, yeah, Norman Bates is a. Uh, it's interesting because even should I say spoilers? It's Psycho. Everyone knows Psycho. Everyone knows what Norman Bates is. Um, the fact that he does have two personalities inside him. One of them is his murderous mother. That is interesting. That's an interesting aspect of him. But he has, he by, let's imagine, let's just imagine that Mrs. Bates is a real person and she is living in that house and Norman lives with her. Uh-huh. It's not two people in one person. It's two separate physical beings. Imagine, just, just imagine that. Norman Bates, still fascinating because he is so, uh-oh, <laughs> hang uh-oh. on, hang on, trouble. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Curious cats. This is no good. Why don't you take, Charlie, take care of your cat? Oh, good God. You gotta... All right. It's okay Sorry, to pick everybody. up the cat and move him physically. I know, but he'll, he's got claws. Oh, this is a... This is a Sorry, everybody. This is a really breezy, uh, freewheeling episode. Um, you mean it's, it's a mess so far. It's a, it is a <laughs> mess. Um, but Norman Bates, it, as a character... The guy who will clean up after his mother does something awful, kills somebody. Uh-huh. He'll, he never questions how it's like, hey, maybe my mom shouldn't be killing people. Like he, that, that thought never enters his mind. He's just like, oh, shoot, look what she did, as if she keeps knocking over the milk. It's like, oh, mother, come on now. You know? Um, yeah, well, he made, I mean, Norman Bates is probably one of the creepiest characters in, yeah. in film history, but he's... Uh, 
he's he's never given uh sort of the the obvious uh, right. path uh, to creepiness right you know he he's all the more creepy because he seems like you can really think of him in the real world as yeah. as like a a person there are plenty of people out there who still who are too old to be living with their mothers right. and still do and are and are mama's boys but not in a you know a cute way yeah yeah i mean it's cuz that's the thing is he's creepy only after a while at first he just seems awkward you know and everybody knows an awkward person yeah and just and and the way anthony perkins plays him you know again like Norman Bates is very much a collect. He could have been just a collection of quirks and all that kind of thing. And Anthony Perkins just treats him as a real person, a guy who, who at times can actually be a little charming, you know, he kind of oh, sure. sweet, you know? Um, and he's, and he's good looking too. That, yeah. that helps the creepiness. It, right. You know, and it's just, uh, but he just, and you just feel so bad for him when you first see him, you kind of want to give him a big hug and be like, it's fine, you know? And, uh, and it's really, and just, Th- that character has to have a great deal of power because, you know, halfway through the... F- I mean, we're with one character, Marion Crane, uh-huh. for about 40 minutes, and then he's introduced, and then after a certain point, he's the main character. Yeah. You know, and so we have to, you know, we have to be on his side, but we know there's something going on, you know, and it's just... And then, of course, the very fact that uh, that he is, you know that he does have multiple personalities like that makes it, it makes it adds a, a great deal of depth and character to him but it also may you almost feel even worse for him like especially the the arc that the character takes where they say that at this point the mother personality has taken him over completely uh-huh. and that that makes you sad because like you know if this guy had li- this guy just lived he was born into a horrible life and he never got out of it you know and it's it's a very tragic character there's a lot of elements to it yeah and we talk about uh, because this is this is the 10 best or whatever these are these are this is a list of characters not yeah. performances right. and, and, and so the, there's other aspects to it i mean yeah. it's the, the way it's it's written and stuff i mean the uh the multiple personalities thing would sort of later become a cliche right uh, i don't know that it was at this point but it's it's sold because it's the way it's it's written and the way it's performed like yeah. you said is so so honest right you it's it really is the way that this would happen if there were two people in the house right and i guess that actually that that leads me to a question maybe we'll we'll kind of take a, a tangent here when you think of what a great character is uh-huh. what do you, i mean what do you think i mean how would you define a great character it, like in the context of our list uh someone who <clears throat> uh is certainly flawed and relatable mm-hmm. um and also somewhat idiosyncratic but in in a, in a real not not in like that sort of modern indie quirky way of right. India, but like has the actual like sort of foibles of an a, of a real of a real person and right. and uh and is different from the other characters in the movie and that's what that's a lot of where the sort of writing comes into it because we talked we've talked shit about juno here mm-hmm. before and the way all the characters in the movie sort of sound alike they sort of talk alike yeah because diablo cody is not a good writer in that sense yeah uh and that's that, that's that's where the writing comes into making good characters is to giving each character his or her own voice right um you know i'm reminded uh you and i saw a movie called lions for lambs <laughs> yeah okay it's not good no. Um and the character and that's a good example of the writing being bad because the characters are nothing more than ideas even though you've got three really solid actors playing them. Uh-huh. But there is a moment when Meryl Streep's character uh she's Now she's, the actors you're talking about are Tom Cruise, Meryl Streep and Kevin Dunn. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um well done. But uh there's a uh there's a scene where Meryl Streep is. I, I like Kevin Dunn, by the way. That was not, I didn't mean. No, to be I know. Mean. Okay. I like Kevin Dunn. Yes. No, I, that's that's who I was talking about. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, the uh, there's a scene where Meryl Streep is. She's just she's been talking to Tom Cruise all day, and she's so frustrated and furious, and she just keeps talking about this. But then every once in a while, she'll just talk about it. it's like it is so hot in here. What is going on? And like she just keeps messing with the thermostat, and then she'll go back into her monologue. Yeah, and 
moments like that, you're like, oh, why couldn't this film have more of stuff like stuff like this? Not something that takes you out of it, but just like this is who that's who people are. Somebody who, in the midst of what they're saying, their mind might go somewhere else. Like it's really hot in here. Like this is very frustrating. I you know I'm trying to focus on something and it's I am pouring buckets of sweat. You know <laughs> and just and so like stuff like that. Yeah, I mean that's it. It doesn't take really a lot to make a character seem real and seem relatable. In that scene, that character is more relatable than any other any other scene in the film. And just to give an example of of like even in in, in a badly written film, you can have a moment that's like, oh, that rings true. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, and and the great characters are the ones that that where you know the the actor under the guidance of the director is able to really bring about and embody the uh the writings of the screenwriter you know what i mean like it really is a it's a it's a threefold thing you know um but uh but that's that's neither here nor there let's uh let's continue with the list that was number 9 norman all right. bates all right you 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 go number 8 is rick blaine from casablanca um Played by uh, Humphrey Bogart, of course, and uh, and this one is you know not uh, again not very surprising. Not a lot of uh, characters on this list are going to be, but um, but sorry, I'm being distracted again. Um, that stupid cat. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> um, but and you know and it's nothing. It's something that we have seen Humphrey Bogart do before, like with Sam Spade or. Uh, Philip Marlowe, just kind of that tough guy thing that he became known for, but this is like the quintessential like tough guy. Oh, wait, I mean, what what year was Maltese Falcon? Uh, Forty one. Oh, okay. So Maltese Falcon was before. Why did I think Casablanca. it was after? That's um, why I keep you around, Tyler. Yeah, because I know stuff. Yeah. Um, but the uh, but like. Rick Blaine more so I'd say than than Sam Spade or or any of those other characters. You you can see that like his tough exterior it's absolutely a function of how vulnerable he is or how vulnerable he feels. Um you know, he just you can just look in his eyes, you're just like this is a man who is hurting immensely. Uh in the case of Casablanca it's because of, you know, this relationship among other things that he's experienced. Um and you just it's like it's like, oh man, I hope things go well for this guy so he can stop being so cynical. Um, that said, he is often at his most fun when being cynical. I mean, he has some of the Rick Blaine has some of the best one-liners ever. Uh, you know, like when he's talking to Peter Lorre, and uh, and Peter Lorre says, "You hate me, don't you, Rick?" And he's like, "Ah, if I gave you any thought, I would." <laughs> yeah. It's like that's great, you know, and just uh, and just you know, like it's a character who is who is absolutely fully realized i mean he just you know he has a strong he has a strong background you know where he came from what he's experienced you you know exactly how those events shaped him into the man he is today and he's just he he is a fully realized character you know so far like we talked about norman bates and atticus finch they are kind of they're a collection of things you know where it's like oh okay well we got to have this character we got to have uh we got to have atticus finch say this so let's hope the actor can actually make this work with the other elements of the character. Uh, Rick Blaine is just written so well. And, and Bogart certainly plays a role there. I mean, he certainly uh, brings the character, you know, makes the character real. But just as far as j- he's just a, fu- he's a fully realized, fully conceived character. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you have to say about Rick Blaine? <coughs> that he uh, is... To this day, I think one of my uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? I had a late, late, late night yeah, last night. Yeah, I know. Night. I know. <laughs> um, he's, he's, he's one of the uh, representatives of cool for me. Oh, yeah. That He's still one of the characters that I look to. Like, that's what a cool guy is. Yeah. And it's, you know, that cigarette dangling. It's like, oh, man. It's a shame he died from cancer because uh, he's <laughs> – He's pretty awesome with that cigarette, you know. It just he's a. Uh, yeah. Well, Rick Blaine didn't die of cancer. Rick, no, no, he lived on. He's still alive. He's uh, exactly. He's alive in our hearts, David. Um, but the, uh, yeah, and just 
it, it's it's an interesting thing because you realize the reason he is so like I've said the reason he is so cool is because of the world that he's living in and he's doing it because you can in the world he's living in you cannot show any vulnerability yeah. you know and so it's like oh he's cool at the expense of perhaps what he's truly feeling because when you see the flashbacks even though I'm not a big fan of the flashbacks in Casablanca um you see him laughing. You see him happy. Yeah. You know? And it's like, what? Who is, who's this guy? Oh, it's the same guy. Oh, I want him to be happy again. You know? <laughs> um, and then, of course, when he, when he makes this, you know, the, the big sacrifice at the end and sacrifices his own happiness for something even bigger, um, it's an amazing moment, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, Rick Blaine, it's, uh, you know, including Casablanca on any list of, like, the best whatevers, people might roll their eyes at that. And be just like, because it's obvious, right? But it's obvious for a reason. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, and yeah, and he is the the heart and soul of that film. All right, so. number seven, Darth, Darth Vader. Vader. <laughs> I mean, this is we, we we've we've talked a lot so far about um, uh, sort of characters and 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 actors bringing bringing a sense of reality, yeah, to to the role, and that's very good. But there's another kind of great character, yeah, which is someone who's just so right for. The story being told, right, and is uh, it doesn't have to be someone that you can necessarily relate to at all. It just has <laughs> yeah. to be a completely powerful and realized character. Yeah, and Darth Vader, uh, and we're going to refer to Darth Vader as like the one from, uh, you know, Star Wars: A New Hope, Empire Strikes. Yeah, Back. we are not talking about Anakin Skywalker. We're right. talking about Darth Motherfucking yeah. Vader. Yeah, because we did actually get a submission for Anakin Skywalker, and we we chose to uh, view it uh, separately yeah. than Darth Vader, um, because the characters themselves view them as separate. Obi Wan Kenobi claims that Darth Vader murdered Anakin Skywalker. You know, right. and um, and what's interesting is uh, is the the arc that Darth Vader has. Uh, in in the in those three films, where in the first film, y- you have no idea of the depths of him. He just seems like just this badass, just this badass guy, yeah. you know. And it's just like, oh man, he's there's no killing that guy. Um, and then only in the second one, and then the third, you realize there's so much more to him. And uh, and this is you know, and and Darth Vader, he's he's a mixture of of like of good writing, you know, good direction. And, and then good costume, good costume. You know, it just is that what you were gonna say? Yeah. Oh, sorry just to the, step on you. No, it's fine. I'm, yeah, I'm glad you could chime in. <laughs> I know you had a late night, but um, <laughs> but like if if his costume didn't look right, I you know you wouldn't have bought the characters threatening or anything like that. I yeah. mean, you just you're just like, oh, this guy looks kind of silly. But everything about him, he has a freaking cape. How scary is a cape? The answer is it's not. Somehow. He manages to make a cape frightening, you know, and just and just well, because it, it it I mean it affects the shape of his body and it makes him in a way less human. Yeah, he just looks like this big sort of black mass, right? You know, and the fact that he's all black and the and that the that the uh, like the stormtroopers are in all white and then like you know some of the other people like he is he's not even like in the first film he's not even really the one in charge, but you know that. He's only in charge because at the moment he doesn't want to be. Uh-huh. You know, it's like the minute he decides, hey, I feel like taking everything over, he will, you know, or yeah. could. And um, and it's just, yeah, he's he's brilliantly and just even something as small as that breathing thing. Uh-huh. Something that at this point has become so identifiable with the character that if you're going to do an impression of him, you need to incorporate uh-huh. the breathing thing. And it's just it's great because like even when he's not talking and he's just standing there. He's saying something like you cannot. Yeah, he's yeah he yeah he's the kind of presence you can't ignore ever. Right. I mean, it's just it's like uh, it reminds me when when uh, John Williams was talking about the uh, the theme for the shark in uh-huh. Jaws. He wanted it to be just this. He wanted it to be very simple, just very da, 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 just the idea that you just can't escape from this thing. It's very primal, and just this breathing, this constant it never changes it never gets faster it never gets slower it's constant he is not you know it's it's very threatening even when he's completely silent but of course uh james earl jones does amazing things with uh you know with with those lines and he just he manages to 
it, it's weird because the characters, the, the, the depth of the voice never really changes over the course of the three films, but, but you can still feel the emotion, even though you can't see what you can't see his face. Yeah. The breathing is always the same. He looks, he always looks the same. So it's all, it's all about, you know, David Prowse, the, the actor uh-huh. in the suit and James Earl Jones, you know, it's up to them to in the, you know, in the third film especially, convey uh, a character that's just reeling with emotion, you know. And uh, and I'm not a huge fan of the Star Wars films, um, but Darth Vader really is a, a, an amazing creation from those movies. Uh, and I'd say probably on our, on our list, well, our list has two, two characters that are so inherently, uh, of the top ten, I mean. Okay. Um, our top ten, there, there's two characters that are just so inherently iconic that you cannot even see the films that they're in, and you still know that. Oh, okay, yes, I know who that is. Yeah. You know, and Darth Vader, you always know who he is. Uh, everyone, he, he's he's going to be remembered for a, you know, a long time, even after people are like, "What's the, what are these? What's it? Who's this Anakin Skywalker? Don't 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 even pay attention. <laughs> you know, Darth Vader will 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 outlive those uh, those crappy films. So, all right, number six. Number six. I'm so excited about this one. Okay, then uh, lead the charge. And, and you know, I mean, it's going to seem like uh, it's less snobbish than some of. Well, I mean, certainly not any less snobbish than uh, than Darth Vader. Okay, we're still going, right? Yeah. This episode sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but uh, th- this is sort of you know an action movie character. Yeah. This is very you know sort of Hollywood and and. Uh, big blockbuster movie type of stuff yeah but uh it's one of my personal favorite characters of all time that's lieutenant ellen ripley uh from the alien movies yeah played by sigourney weaver and uh and this one this one i'm gonna i'm gonna chalk so much of it up to performance as as opposed to as as opposed to the other things because um what she's what she does is okay there's there's a tendency, I think, when making a sort of action or horror type, well, action movie specifically that usually has a male lead. Yeah. When you put a female in the role, there's, uh, I think, a temptation that people often give into to just masculinize her. Yeah. You know, just make her uh, a surrogate man. Right. You know, um, and that's not the way that it's. I mean, it, it's not the way that that Sigourney Weaver plays Ellen Ripley at all. Right. She's. Uh, I mean, she is a fucking badass, and especially as the movies go on, oh, the, yeah. the, she has you know an arc. But she also uh, is very. She, she, she's undeniably feminine. You know, yeah. she's she's caring in you know in in, in sort of maternal, especially in the second film. Yeah. But even in the first film, you know, the way that she cares about Kane, John Hurt's character. Yeah. You know the. The, the way that she behaves around him when he's when he's hurt when he's got the sucker on his face and everything right. you know uh the way that she thinks of his well-being you know is 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 maternal and mm-hmm. is uh it's a feminine trait and mm-hmm. i i just like that uh, i love that she is a a badass action hero yeah. who can really kick ass yeah and she truly can especially as the films go on yeah uh, but she's She's still a woman, and the because the, uh, there's there shouldn't be that shouldn't be paradoxical, but it often is. Yeah, I want to th- I want to mention um, another a movie from this year that uh, um, Trans Siberian. Did you see it? I didn't get a chance to see it, unfortunately. It's it's so great because for the same reasons because Emily Mortimer is the lead, and Woody Harrelson is Woody Harrelson essentially plays the like the girlfriend character that often gets. Hmm. Uh, or in this case, the the wife character that often gets assigned to women that are just sort of there to support the right. uh, the main character, and I I like that dynamic that dynamic switch. But uh, her her being a woman is integral to the movie. It, yeah, it's so she's that Trans Siberian was a great movie and very much in the tradition of Ellen Ripley. Yeah, I would say that Ellen Ripley is actually it's not just that she's a, it's like oh okay she's a Oh, she's like a she's a female action hero. I think she's probably the best action hero. Yeah, because yeah, she's not Laura Croft. Exactly. Right. Right. You know, it's not. It's like it's like oh, she's like a female John McClane. It's like I think she is asked to do more than John McClane. Yeah. Than than uh, Bruce Willis as that character, um, because 
you know, I, because the first, especially over the course of the films, because I really think even though I'm not a big fan of the third one and the fourth one is a little questionable, her character is always fascinating. Yeah. You know, um, and there's a there's a, a through line that yeah. makes sense even into the, the the lesser films. Yeah. I mean, it's just and and in the in the first film, which is kind of a more of a horror movie, like she's strong, but it you know, she's asked to be you know, more, more scared than anything, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and her fear kind of gives her definite focus. You know, it's like, this is what we need to do. I know this because I'm terrified, you know? Uh Um, the second one, of course, that's when, I mean, she was, (laughs) there was an acting nomination for the film aliens. Yeah. Like that, that in itself is fascinating, you know? And it's, if it were any other actress, it wouldn't have been, you know, but it was her. I mean, she, the, the, the relationship she has with Newt, and like she has to she's she's different for everybody the way she is with hicks is different than how she is with newt and wh- and she's kind of even ma- a little maternal to uh hudson you know uh-huh. bill paxton's character you know but then she can also seem really strong when dealing with uh paul riser you know and just she she's a oh, a completely well-rounded character and she's always she always does uh what she is required to do and then of course yeah, she's not like, she's not like a John McClane who finds himself in the same fucking situation over right. and over again, even though she kind of does. But the way that she reacts to the situation in each film, yeah, could w- is is different because of what's happened in the in the, pre- exactly. in the previous films. Exactly. I mean, she's not James Bond or yeah. John McClane. She is somebody who continues from one film to the other. Yeah, you know, and it's because of that that her performance in Alien Resurrection, regardless of what you think of the film itself, is amazing. Because finally, it's gotten to the point that the the idea of her, which is she is somebody who most of her life has had to deal with these alien things, and now in this film it actually has physically manifested itself, so now it's a, it's a physically a part of her. Uh-huh. And at this point, like in the third film, she's just tough as nails, you know? And then in this one, she's actually just kind of gotten a little cynical about it you know yeah. to the point where she just kind of kind of almost she's not funny but she's just kind of just kind of smirks whenever someone talks about like oh we'll be able to take care of this alien she just smirks and says like you'll you'll die it's what happens you know and just she just she stopped caring you know uh-huh. like and and yeah i mean just like you, I'd say I'd say watch all four movies, even though the third one especially is not very good. Watch all four movies for the through line of the character and a wonderful performance. Those movies don't work yeah. without her. I would say it does seem like uh, looking at the list. Uh, I noticed this when compiling it. Characters that show up in more than one movie kind of have an advantage. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and that's fine. I yeah. mean, uh, I think it's because they're just more in the public conscious, uh, consciousness yeah. and stuff. Also, characters who have their name in the title. There's a lot of those. Oh. <laughs> hmm. But again, the, the, the top right, ten is enough. not really doesn't yeah. really reflect that. Yeah. So it's, it's stop looking at that. Stop <laughs> looking at the rest of the list. Just let's 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 move on. Number five. Well, I said what I had to say about Owen Ripley, and then you talked for a while, so I, <laughs> I just let my eyes wander. <laughs> okay. Number number five. <laughs> Harry <laughs> Lime. It's Harry Lime. I can't see you staring me down. <laughs> Um, no, uh, Harry Lyme from The Third Man, played by Orson Welles. Uh, and it's, you know, it's notable that, uh, you know, pretty much all the characters, and Darth Vader, you could make the argument that he's more of a supporting character, but he turns mm-hmm. into very much a lead, uh, over the course of the films. Um. Well, let me, let me say real quick. Okay. Uh, a, a, a one thing we haven't talked about, look at Atticus Finch, Darth Vader, Harry Lyme, like, a great name, Adds a lot to That's a great true. character. That's true, um, and even Ripley's kind of a kind of a cool name. Yeah, Rip, Lieutenant yeah. Ripley. Lieutenant. Ripley. That, that, that it helps the, the lieutenant. Helps. Um, but like, uh, but so far, you know, we've talked about a lot of leads. Harry Lime in the Third Man. He's really. I mean, he's he's in. He's plays a big role at the end of the film, but he only has really one scene. Yeah. Where. Where you get an idea of who he is as a character, um, but at the same time, he's a character who you learn a lot about before he shows up. Yeah, you know, and so um, 
so there's not much of an arc for the character. Like you, like by the time you see him, he's reached the end of his arc. You know, you get the idea. He started as kind of a kind of an idealistic kind of guy who never really took things too seriously, but then that kind of became almost a philosophy of his, and it's just like, you know, it, what happens when somebody who doesn't take things too seriously becomes a you know a criminal? Well, all of a sudden, the you know the lives are deaths of others don't really bother him you know i mean he he says it he says so himself and the fact that he is so at ease with what he is uh with what he does is is astounding and he's so and he's charming and all that and and the way he's able to justify it um but not justify in such a way as like oh clearly he has problem you know he he doesn't like what he's doing and he has to talk himself into it no 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 that's done that that probably finished years ago but his whole cuckoo clock speech, you know, is kind of a justification for other people where it's just like, it's like, eh, just look at it this way if it, if it helps, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just it, it's it's a brilliant performance. Uh, but but again, it's not written. just a performance. Right. Uh, I, I, wanna, I, I need to make that distinction because this is yeah. not a list of the favorite performances. Right. Because, I mean, a lot. You know, the performance belongs to the actor, but the character belongs to the film. Yes. And so the way the way that that lighting is used to introduce Harry Lime, you know, yeah. and, and and of course that amazing dialogue, yeah, uh, it's all a part of the same thing. Yeah, well, and moving on. Okay, are we? Yes, because yes. we're running out of time. Okay, number four. Number David. four. Uh, yeah, and and this guy was uh, this is a tough the one through four. It was a tough race. Well, no, yeah. one was a. Yeah, one was a. Yeah, yeah. two through four. Neck and neck the yeah. whole time as votes were coming in. So uh, number four is Michael Corleone, as Michael played Corleone. by Al Pacino. Yes, in the in the Godfather's one, two, and unfortunately sure, why not? three. three yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's throw that in. He's in it, so why not? Um, yeah. What do you have to say about Michael Corleone, David? Uh, well, I, I hate to keep harping on. Well, again, with like the Ellen Ripley thing, it's it's the way that he grows through the films, or yeah. at least through films one and two uh, right. and i guess in th- i honestly i don't remember godfather three very well his, i've seen his, it once his story in three is pretty good even I like the, the costumes itself. what was that i like the costumes in godfather three <laughs> i like that set of the 70s look <laughs> all right then well i guess uh <laughs> i guess that's a function of the character as well uh, to a degree um but uh yeah uh what happens to him i mean it's like let's say they let's say they hadn't made a godfather two and three like his his story in the first one is really strong mm-hmm. uh but and you're just like oh man i see where he's going i see i see where this is headed and then you actually see it in the second one you're like oh it's even worse than i thought yeah you know especially i mean just the the tragic ending of 3 it's like okay this it's like you always have a a glimmer of hope for him because mm-hmm. you know that he's not just one of these kind of one of these thugs he's not clemenza he's not tessio or any of these others he's not even sunny you know yeah he's you know he like i think he went to college for a while and you know well he was yeah he was sort of kept out of it yeah he was the one uh that the that the his 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 father didn't want right uh initially you know to to be a part of of this not because he didn't think he was good enough for it because right. he thought he was maybe too good for it yeah and uh and everybody even and and Sonny, who is very loyal to the, to his family and stuff, like he, you know, Sonny and uh, Tom, like and Fredo, like everybody, they all want him so badly to do what they couldn't do, you know, which is have a life outside this world, um, and then and then he doesn't, you know, just something, you know, just the events kind of pull him in, but he also pulls himself in, you know what I mean? Like after you know Vito gets shot. And is in the hospital like Sonny wants to keep Michael out of this. Yeah. You know, but Sonny, but Michael just insists, you know, so there is something in him. Like, it's not like he's not a victim of circumstance. You know, right. he he takes an active role. And, and that's the tragic element to the character is it's not like, oh, I find myself here. No, he made that choice, you know, and um, and that's why, you know, there's there's always been a, a very definite Shakespearean element to that character. Um yeah, it's 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 funny you you talk about the tragic and that because it's usually a tragic character is someone who is generally good and then has the fatal flaw. Right. Whereas 
Michael Corleone's his flaw mm-hmm. is what makes him not necessarily a good person. Yeah. Uh, and that's it's it's sort of a, a twist on on what on what uh, a traditionally tragic character would be. Yeah. If anything, he's a bad character who has good elements, and it's those good elements that keep you so you're like, oh, he could he could get out of this. He could so get himself out of this if he wanted to, but he's not. Yeah. You know, it's just a, you know, he's not Tony Soprano. Tony Soprano is pretty bad all the way through. Yeah. You know, it's that glimmer. It's that glimmer of hope. The realization that, like, he's smarter than anybody else here. But the fact that he's choosing to use those smarts to be better at this, you Uh know. Oh, yeah, it's it really is. a And then and then that moment at the at uh, what we just we won't even talk about number three right now. But like the moment at the end of two after the big you know, the big moment happens uh-huh. and you just see him sitting there and it's just, cause that's the thing. That's almost the worst thing is he has a conscience about it. Yeah. But it, he's not being led by it. You know, it's, it really is a wonderful character and, and wonderful performance by Al Pacino. So, moving on, moving on. Number, number three, again, neck and neck. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, the little tramp, the little tramp. Um, in in played in multiple movies yeah. by uh, by Charles Chaplin. Ch- Charles choosing to go a little more formal. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know I mentioned with Darth Vader, I mentioned like the the idea of an iconic character, and uh, the little tramp is so iconic that people when they think the words Charlie Chaplin, that's who they think of. He didn't look like that at all. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no. It's just something that he that he put on. You know, and. Uh, but just the character, but it, the character is more than just the awesome costume design. I can't imagine that character looking uh, any different. You know, yeah. like everything about him was was perfect. You know, he just seemed a little. It, it, he just always seemed a little outside the world that he was living in. You know, but the, but there are elements to the character besides what he looks and how he acts. You know, the fact that that character can be very funny and very goofy but also at times you know kind of vengeful but kind of in a in a funny way you know uh-huh. um but then also could turn around and be involved in very high melodrama i'm not a huge chaplin fan because he tended towards melodrama but as an actor and and the character and the character that has been created um i you always buy it you know i mean did you ever see the kid no. Did you ever see the the big scene from the kid where I think so. Where like the the authorities are taking this orphan kid away. Right, right. And and you know the tramp is is like chasing the truck and he's like on rooftops and stuff running after them and you get some moments of nice comedy and like some thrills as he's as he as he's running across the rooftops. But then when he finally gets the kid like he's he's crying and he's hugging the kid and kissing him and it's like and that's the and and it's it makes perfect sense because anybody who would go to the effort of running across these rooftops to get to the kid once he gets him probably would burst out crying you know it's just it's a very consistent character uh even though you would think that he wouldn't be you know yeah i mean if it, if if the only thing about charlie chaplin was his was just the physical comedy yeah little trent wouldn't be on this list right it's it's the fact that he's a uh, more of a, he's a, a person uh, yeah. is relatable, identifiable, sympathetic. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and honestly, I feel like we could move on at this point. Yeah. What do you think? Okay, number two, David. Uh, number two. Uh, and we talked about. I'm very happy about this about how many women were on the list. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad that we have a woman at number two. That's right. Um, was w- was she on the Empire list no. at all? No, not yeah. at all. You can, you guys, you guys are so smart, <laughs> you listeners. <laughs> Number two, Norma Desmond. Norma Desmond, from Sunset Boulevard. That's right, played by Gloria Swanson. Yeah, one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, and you know, and and there's a lot of great elements to it. You know, I mean, uh, uh, William Holden's character is a strong character in and of himself, but that movie is Norma Desmond. Mm-hmm. Just and 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 again, she's somebody who. I'm a big fan of any character that you think you've got figured out the, like the first time you meet them. And then over the course of the film or TV show or whatever it is, you learn that there's a lot more to them. It may, like, and in the case of a character who might be a little negative, like you find yourself kind of against them, 
I like the idea that you find out that there's more to them, but that doesn't necessarily turn you on their side. You know, you're not on their side now. You just understand more of how they got to be such a negative person. And Norma, Norma Desmond is absolutely that. Um, you you come in kind of... She First off, she's weird. She lives a weird existence yeah. with chimps and ex-husbands as butlers. Um, <laughs> you know, and just... But... Um, and you see her kind of as a spider who is slowly but surely pulling this character in uh-huh. and bec- and making him dependent on her. Um, but then, and just, and so you're just like, oh, I don't like this woman at all. But then you see what she was and you see that what she isn't anymore and that uh-huh. she's, and you just feel pity for her. You know, it doesn't make, you, doesn't make her sympathetic. But you just, you're like, oh, Yeah. That's pretty. That's rough. I don't like what she's doing, but it's kind of a crappy life that she's living. Well, I, it's. I mean, yeah, she's a great character within the film. But one thing we talked about a little with Darth Vader, but we haven't really talked about the idea of the way these characters live outside of the film. Yeah, and I mean, Norman Desmond is such an iconic type of thing. So she so represents. She so has come to represent what she represents in the movie. Yeah. in real life, that I mean, the idea, the "I'm ready for my close-up" line is yeah. like. It's like a staple of the uh, over-self-involved actress yeah. now. You know, the delusional, Yeah. you know, uh, she she represents, she, whether this is true or not, yeah. in so many people's minds, she represents something about Hollywood. Yeah, that it's like, that it doesn't really have any relevance to the to the real world. I mean, maybe right. a little bit of relevance, but like it, it doesn't know what the real world is like because mm-hmm. it has sur- is surrounded itself by people who are constantly lying to it. Like yeah. she, you know, like her, she get, she talks about, Oh, I get so many fan letters and it's just, it's her Butler writing them, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, because, but her ego is so fragile that like if ever she was told the truth, she would kill herself, you right. know, like she's just so dramatic at every point. Um, and it makes you, it, you know, it makes you dislike her and it makes you pity her. But yeah, what she represents, even, even people who don't know or haven't seen Sunset Boulevard, like when you, like if you mention like the Hollywood lifestyle, they probably picture her, you know, <laughs> or that kind of thing because it kind of, through like cultural osmosis. I remember when I was, when I was younger, uh, I would watch Tiny Toon Adventures. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's Warner Brothers and Steven Spielberg. And so it actually frequently would have, references to like older films and there was one that was like sunset Bull- it was an entire episode there was a parody of sunset boulevard with with uh i think the the character's name was elmira was, yeah was that right was norma desmond and then hampton the pig was her butler and and it was just like and i remember like i i was a kid i i, I hadn't seen sunset boulevard you know uh-huh. but just like but the the makers of the of the cartoon realized the inherent power of not only the story but of this character uh-huh. that they they just trusted that's like kids are gonna get it and they did yeah i did you know and then when i saw sunset boulevard i'm like hey there's like that tiny tunes episode that I saw. <laughs> but uh <laughs> but yeah so it's uh yeah norma desmond and of course it's in this case once again like we talk about how a character is 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 uh, a function of like so many different elements um and one of them and this is this is kind of like performance but just casting in general they cast an aging kind of irrelevant uh-huh. silent film star you know yeah they could have you know it was they could have cast you know betty davis or joan crawford or katherine hepburn and put them in a little bit of makeup and they of course probably would have done wonders with the role but they're still relevant billy wilder in a stroke of genius uh-huh. decided i'm gonna pick somebody that people haven't thought about for years so that just once they look at her they're like oh right yes because that's exactly how norma desmond is thought of right so like yeah and that's something that we haven't really talked much about but i think in this especially the right the right actor e- before they even open their mouth the right actor right. can be a can be a huge uh, a huge element of of, of a great character well, I think we'll see that with number one, yeah, because this is an actor who's already been on the list, yeah, uh, on the top ten, yeah, um, and he does have a very sort of imposing, yeah, presence, very very striking. He's very he's very he's devilishly handsome, yeah. At least at this age, he was. 
<laughs> That's right, yes. So. so who's number one? Number one, well done, everybody. This should not be a surprise to anyone <laughs> at all, ever. Uh, number one is Charles Foster Kane from Citizen Kane. Um, played, of course, by, uh, by Orson Welles, who played uh, Harry Lyme. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked about, I know I've certainly talked about Citizen Kane uh, a lot on, on this show, but, uh, but as far as the character itself, you know, what, why do you, why do you think he, uh, plays number one, David? Uh, I mean, it has, uh, again, the character belongs to the movie. Yeah. And the movie is, you know, the greatest of all time, more yeah. or less. Uh, and if that wouldn't be true, it's not, it's not just... That people, oh, this is a great movie, so let's pick the character. The right. movie wouldn't be great if it weren't for... Yeah. It's, I mean, the whole movie is carried on the back of this character. Yeah. Even though, I mean, so much of it is told from other people's point of view. Right. You know, but the whole movie is obsessed with him. Yeah. Uh, as it, you know, that's as it should be. But, I mean, the movie wouldn't be as great as it is if it weren't for... Yeah. For I mean, the character being as great. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, they're inseparable. I mean, it's called Citizen Kane. It's all about him. Yeah. Um... And what's and what's fascinating, I think, is first off, much like much like I was talking about with Rick Blaine, he's a character who's fully conceived. You know, he's somebody who uh, you, you definitely see the through line of his life. Granted, it's told in different fragments and kind of out of order, but you get it. It's such a it's such a linear character. You see how he gets from it. point A to point B to point C. Even the and and the and and Orson Welles' performance uh, certainly bears that out. You know, I mean, he always, you know, you always know exactly because something told out of order, the performance needs to be has needs to have all the ducks in the row, you know. Um, but I think what really gets the, you know, I, I'd say a similar character is T.E. Lawrence, who shows up on our list as well. Um, number 13. I, number 13. Lucky number 13, T.E. Um, Lawrence. But the uh, there are characters who no matter how much time you spend with them, no matter how much you're told about them. There's still a mystery. There's still something about them you cannot figure out. And you get and in the case of of Charles Foster Kane, you get the impression it's because he hasn't figured it out. But and this is different than T.E. Lawrence. I think T.E. Lawrence was just like, well, whatever, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Like, I don't think he really had a lot of moments of looking inward. He had a few in the film. But not nearly as much. I mean, Charles Foster Kane was always, he knew, much like, like Michael Corleone, he knew what he was. Mm-hmm. And he just wanted to figure out, why am I like this? You know, and that, like that moment when he was, uh, when he gets splashed with mud and he meets Susan Alexander for the first time. He is on his way to the warehouse where the sled and all his, all his parents' old crap is kept. He's on his way there. Mm-hmm. If he had made it there, who knows how he would have ended up as a person. You know, he may have found a certain degree of closure. Who, maybe not. You know, that's the thing is, it is one of the most complex characters I've ever seen. Because you, you know all about him, but you don't know him. And I, I think that's how you, could, how you could best sum up Charles Foster Kane is, you know... You know all about him. You know what his life is. You know where he came from. You know what the, you know the kind of things he does. He's kind of predictable after a certain point, and yet I, I don't have a clue who he is inside. You know, um, and it, it, I think that there's that intriguing element of having something figured out but not. I think that for me is what makes him such a great character. Yeah, um, and the fact that you know 60 some odd years later yeah people are still trying to figure him out right you know it's it's a it's a movie that uh that is timeless if for no other reason than because nobody has ever been able to say this is absolutely what the film is about and that's the last word like nobody has ever said that nobody can ever say that um and it's and it's linked as you say it's linked with the character, you know, the the movie and the character are one and the same. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's of course uh a function of of the writing, you know. They could have made these other characters who are t- actually telling the story and are strong characters in and of themselves. It could have made them a little bigger, you know, and diminished Kane a little more, but they chose not to. He is, you know, it's all about him. It's all about figuring out what he is, and then at the end you still don't know, you still don't know. 
you know, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful yeah it's a wonderful performance, a wonderful, a well written character, and uh, yeah, so Charles Foster Kane, according to you, and I would agree, is the greatest film character of all time. Woohoo! So all right. <laughs> that was redi- that was sad, David. <laughs> Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and so, as we said, uh, on the 25th, uh, we will have the full list available on the website. Uh, it will have its own page. At some point on the 25th. At some point on the 25th. It no might not be there when you get up to open your presents. Exa- right, yes. I will, I'll try and make it so that, so that it does that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then David and I will also, uh, there will be... Uh, short blurbs about each character, um, which is the reason, and that's the main reason we're pushing it back, right? Right from from so. from today, from Monday, because we have to write, you know, a hundred of these things. But um, but yeah, and so, you know, uh, if you have any uh, questions or comments about uh, about you know the process of making this list or or anything like that, you can email us at battleshippretension@hotmail.com. dot uh, com. You can go to the forum and discuss this with battleshippretension dot com. Battleshippretension dot com. Thank which you, which also features a donate button. That's right. Yes, there is. Uh, you know, the, uh, you know, this, this this takes a lot of work putting <laughs> the, these things together, it and does. Uh, and this list itself uh, ruined my afternoon. So uh, <laughs> you know, uh, feel free to just uh, donate to your heart's content. You know, it's uh, it's the Christmas season, um, but uh, and also just uh, you know. At the last minute, I probably should have started the show with this, but uh, uh, a special welcome to all of our new listeners. I don't know where you came from, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't know why you always do this. <laughs> because I, it fascinates me. I want to know where where we get this sudden surge of listeners, but um, but yes, welcome to the show. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I uh, hope you'll join us next week, and uh, until then, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.